Let me pray. Loving Father, Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the Apostle Paul, who Jesus commissioned himself to be your apostle. We thank you for this letter to Philemon. There's much that we can learn from it, of course. It's your word. And we pray now by your Holy Spirit, clean it, clear our minds, open our hearts to receive your word with thanksgiving and to put it into practice. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had any difficulty in human re- in relationships in church uh, with other people. Uh, if you haven't, it's probably because you haven't been in church for very long. Uh, eventually, you struggle uh, with different people when you're in a big group of any sort. Um, perhaps you've had trouble with someone who just kind of got on your nerves. They just sort of irritated you, or perhaps you irritated them, or perhaps you irritated each other. Um, maybe... There was someone who has really strong opinions that were different from your really strong opinions. Uh, Perhaps you had a genuine conflict with someone who hurt you uh, in church, or perhaps you hurt someone else in church, or perhaps you hurt each other. Perhaps it was the minister of the church who you've had conflict with uh, in the past. Perhaps someone has wronged you in the past in church and it still affects you today. You haven't entirely gotten over it. Perhaps it actually affects how you treat others today in church. Perhaps you're a little guarded. Uh, Perhaps you're a little suspicious. Perhaps you are a bit reluctant to welcome people in because of hurts that have happened in the past that you still cling to today. Hang around in church and you're bound to have some sort of difficulty in relationship with other people, particularly if you're someone who's committed to your church and dedicated to your church and working closely uh, with people in church, there's bound to be relational friction. And the New Testament actually says that's a good thing and we actually ought to work that out. And if if, if there's no tension ever, well, perhaps we're too distant from our church and we need to lean in a bit more. Our church is full of saved sinners, including this saved sinner, None of us are perfect. We all sin. We all do the wrong thing and say the wrong thing sometimes. Hang around church long enough and you're bound to find relational tension or even be hurt by someone, especially if you're all committed to your church. Interestingly, though, it's Christian commitment and dedication that provides the way forward when relationships are difficult and distancing yourself does not. So the church, in fact, the church is the one place with an incredible success rate in healing broken relationships and uniting the most unlikely of people together as brothers and sisters. How does the church do this? How is it that the most unlikely people become united? How is it that the most hurt people can be healed and relationships restored in church? Well, Paul's letter to Philemon gives us the key to thriving thriving human relationships within church and even the key to healing broken relationships in church. It's a stunning letter. I thank God for blessing us with this letter next in our preaching series. And as I said before, we're going to look at a few short letters from the end of the New Testament that are all packed with gold, Philemon, Jude and 3 John. And then we're going to re-pick up our series in Matthew, which we started a couple of years ago. We're up to chapter 14 now. Philemon was a wealthy businessman who lived in Colossae and it's about the year 53 AD 
when he comes to Ephesus to hear Paul preach. So you can see there Colossae on the right in the middle of south middle of Asia Minor, Galatia. And then on the coast uh, is Ephesus. It's modern day Turkey. So there's Turkey, Greece is across the water. That's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's all that water to the south. So that kind of gives you an or- is that everyone orientated in the world. Okay, we'll go back to that one. So Philemon is a wealthy businessman from Colossae. And he no doubt travelled to Ephesus, which was the biggest city uh, for business and for trade. And one time when he was there, around 53 AD, he heard of this interesting person who was teaching all these amazing things and even performing miracle healings and even casting out evil spirits. And he went along to find out what was going on. And he met the Apostle Paul. And he heard of his teaching and another man, Epaphras, at the same time did the same thing. Heard of Paul's teaching and saw the miraculous things and was very interested and kept going back to hear more. And in time, Philemon and Epaphras both became Christians. They gave their life to Christ and they took this teaching about Jesus back to their hometowns. Philemon to Colossae and Epaphras back to Hierapolis and Laodicea. Philemon started a church in his house. Uh, They met in his home back in Colossae and gradually the small church grew uh, under the kind of direction of or the teaching that had come from Paul and the care of Philemon and his wife Aphia. Just like our church started in Sean and Julia's house uh, all those years ago, so this church in Colossae started in uh, Philemon's house in Colossae. Now, given that Philemon was wealthy, he had slaves, and that wasn't a bad thing back in those days. Um, Slaves were protected and well looked after, often, by their masters, and Philemon was certainly a good master who cared for his slaves. Having a wealthy person to care for you meant provided work. It gave you an opportunity to have a family because you had a steady income and you had a safe place uh, to live as well. Philemon was no doubt a kind and loving master, Um, But he had a slave who was a troublemaker named Onesimus. And Onesimus uh, ran away from his master, Philemon, and we're very confident that he stole from him before he left and before he went away. Now, it's dangerous to run away from your master because you lose that protection, but this is what Onesimus did. Now, probably about six or seven years later, around 59, 60-ish, uh, AD, um, the church had been steadily growing for six or seven years and, and, and uh, early on Philemon had been working alongside Paul in Ephesus and, and learning uh, everything he could. Some years later, Onesimus, the runaway slave, made his way to Rome and in a remarkable providence of God, Onesimus was brought into contact with the Apostle Paul who was now under house arrest in Rome in around 60 to 61 AD. You with me so far? Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, made his way to Rome and met Paul, who had been preaching in Ephesus and now was imprisoned in his, in his home in Rome under the supervision of a Roman soldier. How they came to be in contact with one another, no idea, we don't know. But we know that they did. Now, as Paul tends to do, Paul shared the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus put his trust in Jesus. 
I wonder, I wonder, had a seed of faith been sown back home uh, in Philemon's house as the church began to meet and grow, the church he didn't want anything to do with at the time. I wonder if he'd heard something and then Paul uh, later on had kind of watered that and, and seen it grow. We don't know, but we do know that Onesimus was saved under Paul's uh, teaching and care. It was at this time that Epaphras also found himself under house arrest in Rome, probably for preaching the gospel uh, back in his hometowns. Putting two and two together, Paul was able to discover that the origin of this... So, so Epaphras, imprisoned in Rome as well, brought news of this new church in Colossae back to Paul. And putting two and two together, Paul realised that the church in Colossae was, had come from his teaching... And this slave, runaway slave, who he had now befriended and now beloved, Onesimus, was from that same house, from Philemon's house. All right? So in the providence of God, he brought these three people together in Rome, Epaphras, Paul, and Onesimus. So Paul got the news about this church in Colossae, and he also got the news about this person, Onesimus, that was a runaway slave from the homeowner where the church met. So Paul decided to write two letters uh, urgently to this church in Colossae. One letter to encourage them into, in their faith and to spur them on. And that letter is the letter of, to the Colossians. And he decided to write a second letter to the, to the owner of the home and the leader of the church, Philemon, with regards to this man who stood before him, his brother in Christ, this runaway slave, Onesimus. Make sense? So Paul penned personally the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon himself and then he sent them back with Onesimus and the letters with his friend and brother in Christ, Tychicus. It must have been a nerve-wracking trip for Onesimus as he headed with Tychicus and the two letters back to his hometown of Colossae. And no doubt the church would have gathered to hear the two letters read out. Firstly, the letter to the Colossians, which we have uh, in your laps. You have the letter to the Colossians, a few, few pages back. And also this letter to Philemon, which Paul intended to be read in the hearing of all who were in the church. Now, I can't help but wonder, I wonder if when they got back with the two letters, Tychicus and Onesimus, um, I wonder what Onesimus did when he got back home to Philemon's house. I wonder if he, did he go in and kind of sit and listen or did he kind of hang outside? Because it would have been awkward because he'd run away. And this was his kind of first reuniting uh, with his, his, his master, who's still his master, uh, Philemon. I, wonder, I just wonder what it was, can you picture yourself there as someone in the church? Is he, is he just outside? Is he... Great delight would have come to the church as they got this letter uh, from Paul, probably read by Philemon or read by Tychicus. Um, so they would have read out Colossians uh, to the church and then they would have read Philemon to the church, which would have turned a few heads uh, as we get halfway down and we learn it's about Onesimus. So we'll dive into the letter. Now that you've got the background, I hope that's clear. You've got any questions, let me know. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, or for the sake of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, who is with him, 
to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home as well. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, Paul usually opens a letter as an, calling himself an apostle, but this time he says he's a prisoner. He's under house arrest, not because the Romans are mean. He's under house arrest for the sake of Jesus. It's Jesus' will that Paul is in jail under house arrest. It's Jesus' will that we are where we're at in our life stage. It's the will of God that you're where you're at. And that's something we're going to think about more at our church weekend away and what that means. And Paul's in the company of his beloved brother and trainee in the faith, Timothy. We, uh, <clears throat> he describes Philemon as a dear friend and a fellow worker. And clearly Philemon spent a lot of time in Ephesus with Paul, he, learning and helping out. He calls him a fellow worker. Did he cast out demons himself? I don't know. Did he do miracle healings himself? Possibly. We don't know, but Paul describes Philemon as a fellow worker. So he's obviously spent a lot of time in Ephesus working with Paul before Paul found himself under arrest in Rome. The letter is also addressed to Philemon's wife, Aphia, and this person, Archippus, another beloved brother in the faith. He's mentioned also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. He's probably their son. He's probably Philemon and Aphia's son. Interestingly and somewhat strangely, the letters addressed to the whole church as well. The issue at hand was a family affair for Philemon's family and for the whole church. Now, not only was the church meeting in Philemon and his family's house, but Paul's request to Philemon is going to have significant consequences for them and for the whole household and for the whole church. And I want to say... Ideal, in, a, in a perfect world, conflict, is, conflict in the church between people is always dealt fairly publicly so that we can all help and we can all pitch in and love and help reconciliation to occur. Often, often churches, not necessarily ours, often churches keep their issues too secret to their own detriment and that's when divisions and factions can happen. I think for the most part our church has been quite transparent uh, with its struggles and strains and consequently when we're transparent we, we're enabled to love one another and to help one another as we learn about one another's struggles and strains and particularly if there's any conflicts inside the church between people we can, we can sort it out together and help one another resolve our different differences because it's public. Paul's request to Philemon was going to impact the entire church significantly. At this stage, the letter's written to all of them. Uh, in verse 3, the you is a use. We don't have a you plural word in the English language. It's actually really annoying. Use sounds terrible, and any English teacher in the room will... Um, but it would be really nice to have a you plural word. And right here, it's grace and peace to use all um, in the church from God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Christians bring the peace of God uh, wherever they go. It's right for Paul to say, grace and peace to you from God, as I write. Verse 4, I always, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I heard about your love for... This is to Philemon now, okay? You singular. Because I hear about your love, Philemon, for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus, I pray that your partnership, Philemon, with us in the faith 
may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we all share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul's now speaking to Philemon alone, but he knows and desires that the whole church hears what he has to say. Paul loves Philemon dearly. It's clear, isn't it? And he's so very thankful for the way in which he's grown in his faith ever since the day of his conversion in Ephesus under Paul's teaching. And Philemon loves his church dearly. And he loves the Lord Jesus dearly. And that's just the greatest joy in the world for Paul to see Philemon's love for his Lord and for the church. I want you to look again at Paul's prayer there in verse 6 in your Bibles. And I'd love you to add it to your prayers for our church. Pray that same prayer for our church. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith, partnership with us, it's partnership in the gospel, sharers in the common faith in the Lord Jesus. Together we believe that Jesus died for us and rose again in glory. And that makes us partners in the gospel, partners in the faith. We're bound together in Christ because of this good news that Jesus died for us and rose again that we all believe in. We're partners in the gospel forever. Paul prays that their partnership in the gospel, their common belief, will cause them to understand more and more fully the wonderful blessings that are theirs in Jesus for the sake of Jesus. He wants the church to know just how awesome it is to be a Christian. And he wants them to understand more and more fully each day what a blessing it is to be in partnership with brothers and sisters in church. What a joy. Get your head, get your heart around it more and more each day. This is my prayer, just how awesome it is to be part of a church of Jesus Christ. What an immense joy it is to have your sins forgiven, to be certain that eternal life is yours, and also to be joined together with other Christians from all different walks of life, united in Christ, celebrating the truth and loving one another and experiencing that joy. This is his prayer for the church in Colossae. And not only that, but to see this partnership in full effect in human relationships. And I've got to tell you that partnership in the gospel is lovely when things are going well and we're getting on well. It's good and it's great. But it's put into full effect when conflict arises. The love and the unity and the partnership that we share in the gospel is put into full effect. Most useful when conflict arises, when there's hardships, when there's difficulties in relationship in the church, that's when partnership in the gospel ought to shine the brightest. And that's what we see here in this letter. Paul's prayer, my prayer, please make it your prayer, that the church will see and understand the astonishing good that is working through, that God is working through his people, the church. 
Philemon loves his church, he loves the Lord Jesus, and it is this love that has refreshed the hearts of those who gather faithfully week in, week out in his house in Colossae. And for this, Paul is simply overjoyed. Now, Paul spends the next nine verses building this platform for what's going to be an outrageous request that he has for Philemon. Humanly speaking, his request is outrageous. But the platform that he builds is supernatural. It's it's of God, which means his request is not outrageous. Look at verse 8. Therefore, given your great love for the church and my love for you, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. The fact that Paul and Philemon are brothers in Christ means that he, he does have grounds to be frank and, and open with Philemon in his appeal. He could say, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we know that you should do this thing. We still don't know what the thing is yet. I mean, you've read the letter, you know what the thing is. But at this point in the letter, Philemon doesn't really know what he's about to ask. But Paul could say, you know, you're a Christian and therefore, as a Christian, you really should do this thing that I'm about to ask of you. He could do that. They have a common belief, they're united in the bonds of love and fellowship. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to appeal to Philemon on the basis of love. And he knows that he's not barking up the wrong tree with Philemon. Um, He's already drawn attention to Philemon's great love twice in verse 5 and verse 7. He knows Philemon is a man who loves people. And can I add, this appeal on the basis of love rather than this command or instruction is also the power of partnership in the gospel. The real power and effectiveness of the gospel isn't seen through commands and obeying commands. It's seen through, it's not seen through people ordering people around, like in a lot of secular human relationships in the workplace and whatnot. But the power of the partnership of the gospel is seen in common love and common faith and common trust. And this common love and union in Christ means we work together. Two people working together, ten, a hundred people working together. There's no need for commands one to the other, but there's a common faith and unity and understanding of purpose and understanding of what ought to be done in any given situation. Does that make sense? And therein lies the power of partnership in the gospel. Commands aren't so much required because there's a common understanding of what's good and right as given by our Lord Jesus. There's no need for human commands to humans because of this commonness, this partnership in the gospel. So Paul appeals on the basis of this partnership, this, this commonality, this basis of love, not as an authoritative apostle, but as an old man, and an old man in prison at that. He comes from a posture of humility. I'm old and I'm in jail. I'm not commanding you. I'm appealing to you as a brother. Now, it's in verse 10, practically halfway, that we figure out 
who he's talking about. We don't even know what he's going to ask yet. In verse 10, we discover that Paul's talking about Onesimus. I appeal to you for my son, my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, again, is he in the room at this point when the letter's been read out? The, the church has just had the letter to the Colossians. They've had that read out and they're like, oh, wow, that's so good. And then there's a letter to Philemon. We get to verse 10 and then the church finds out he's talking about Anisimus. And they're like, whoa, I remember that guy. He stole from Philemon and just did the bolt. He hated our church was here. What's going on? I, I can imagine in the... That there's murmurs in the crowd. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we're talking about Nissan. Oh my goodness, and Nissan was really. You remember him? Yeah, I remember him. Wow. Um, I can imagine that. How on earth did Onesimus meet Paul? For one, how, like, he ran away from here and Paul's in there. And how did that, how did that happen? I don't know. It's like, what's going on? I don't know. Why is Paul appealing on behalf of this thief who ran? I don't know. What's going on? You can imagine it. But look at the word that Paul uses to describe Anisimus. Twice. My son. There's no greater exclamation of affection than to describe someone as a son. In sharing the gospel with Anisimus and teaching him the Bible and Anisimus subsequently surrendering his life to Jesus, Paul became a spiritual father. Paul points to the elephant in the room. I know he was useless to you, but he's not anymore. He's useful now to you and also to me, in fact. We don't know how he was. Was he insolent? Was he lazy? Was he disruptive? Was he, I don't know, was he oppositional? We know ultimately he ran away and stole on the way out. But that's all changed. And Isimus has given his life to Christ. He's a changed man and has become greatly useful to Paul already and to Philemon. Paul is sure he will be useful. In fact, the name Anisimus means useful one. It was often a name that masters gave to their slaves in the hope they might live up to it and actually be useful ones. Um, and Anisimus is a changed man. He's become a useful one. In fact, Paul, we see verse down, verse 13, Paul's kind of hoping Philemon won't take him back and he can hang with Paul and help him out. He's, uh, but he knows that he's, you know, He's, he's the master of this man. And then verse 12, look, look at verse 12. There's this, this, Paul's amazing. This is astonishing words that again just express the power of partnership in the gospel. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. My very heart, he describes him as. That is incredible. A Jewish apostle of Jesus imprisoned in Rome, how did he develop such a deep affection for a Gentile fugitive from Colossae? It's not possible, humanly speaking, for such a deep bond to occur, save for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's outrageous to think, this Jewish apostle in Rome, in jail, should come into contact with this Gentile's runaway thief and they should grow such a bond 
But Paul describes him as his very heart. He knows him, he loves him, he delights in his company and he delights in his partnership in the gospel and he hopes he can stay. (coughs) Verse 13, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul wants to leave the decision to Philemon, and bear in mind, we still haven't been told what the decision is. Any favour you do, what is the favour? Any favour you do, I want it to be, you know, of your own will, Philemon. Why is Paul taking so long to build up to what the favour actually is? Now, look look at verse 15. Clearly, God's at work. Paul suggests that Onesimus' flight was all part of God's plan. Perhaps Philemon and Onesimus were separated for a time just so they could come back and be together forever in this life and into eternity. God's plan at work. No longer master and slave, but brothers in Christ forever. This is the power of partnership in the gospel. That Paul and Onesimus, two people from completely different worlds, can become eternal brothers in Christ. That Philemon and Onesimus, one deeply wounded by the other, can find reconciliation and be united as eternal brothers in Christ. And now finally we get to Paul's request in verse 17. So, given all that, if you consider me a partner in the gospel, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord, Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Welcome Anissimus as you would welcome me, the Apostle Paul, the one who's with Jesus started all this, all these churches in Asia Minor. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Can you imagine it? There's a reason Paul's carefully laid this platform. What he's asking is actually huge. It's a really big deal. Onesimus deeply wounded Philemon when he ran away, when he stole He was no doubt a troublemaker. I'll bet Philemon was glad to be rid of him, to be honest. And now Paul's saying, welcome this man back as you would welcome me. The church loves Paul. They think he's incredible. It's because of his teaching they exist. Their leader, Philemon, loves Paul, worked with him. If for Paul to come for a visit would be a really big thing and, you know, there would be celebrations and there'd be good food and... (laughs) 
all that kind of thing. Welcome him as you would welcome me. I'm trying to think. I can't think of it. I tried to think of an illustration. This is the closest I could get, right? And it's, I think it pales in comparison. On the 20th of August this year, our beloved Bishop Peter Lynn, there he is, that's what he does a lot, smiles, is coming to visit our church. He's going to be here. He's going to mingle with us and hang out with us and preach to us. And we'll do the best we can to make him work. It's a big deal that the bishop's coming um, to visit our church. It's really cool. He's got about 80 churches that he's kind of responsible for and trying to care for the ministers of. And he's coming to us. That's cool. Uh, In August. I love Peter. He's been very... I know that most of you don't know him personally, but I do. He's been very kind to me personally. And he's a great man of faith and a godly man. And I'm really thankful for him uh, as our bishop. Now imagine... Someone started coming to our church a while ago and they caused heaps of trouble and they deeply offended me and then they took off. And then next year, they decide to come back. Let's call him Fred. Fred decides to come back. And I say, remember the way we welcomed the bishop on the 20th of August? Remember that? Welcome Fred back in the same way that you welcomed Peter, our beloved bishop. Huh? Really? Wow. It's an outrageous request, but for the power of partnership in the gospel. Because of partnership in the gospel, it is possible. That kind of unconditional love for an enemy, now a brother, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of reconciliation is possible because of the power of partnership in the gospel, because of the deep union in Christ that exists between Paul and Philemon. And Paul's not only asking for grace from Philemon, he goes on to say that any cost that is incurred to you, I'll pay it back, charge it to me. He has a clean slate with you. Reminds you of anyone else? Reminds you of Jesus, doesn't it? Any cost that we incurred to God through our sin and rebellion, Jesus says... Charge it to me. I will take the cost upon myself. Charge it to me, not to them. Such is my love for them. In verse 21, Paul says, Confident of your obedience, I know you'll do even more than I ask. He knows Philemon's heart. He knows what he'll do. And the fact that this letter still exists, I think, is testament to the fact that Philemon did welcome Onesimus back into the church. In fact, in the second century AD, there was a bishop in Ephesus named Onesimus. Same guy? Not sure. Maybe. The timing is right. He expects Philemon welcoming back. Maybe he expects he'll do even more. He'll free him from slavery. Um, we don't know. But we do know that he welcomed him back. It seems plain. Now, the rubber really hits the road for the church, and I'm almost done. The rubber really hits the road for the church in verse 22 when Paul says, I'm going to come to the church. I'm going to come and visit, so please prepare a room for me. So can you imagine it? Paul says at the end of the letter, prepare a room for me. 
And the church says, Paul's coming. Wow, that's awesome. Let's, let's, make, let's find the best room we can uh, in the house or in our church and, and let's make sure we've got a, a big day with lots of food and, and celebrations and try and give as many people as a, to see Paul. And, and what else can we do for... Hang on a minute. He said, welcome Onesimus in the same way as you would welcome me. Wow. All these things we want to do for Paul, we ought to do for Onesimus as well. That's big. Required to feel the same sense of joy and love and hospitality towards Onesimus as Paul. That is Paul's request to Philemon. What's this mean for us? Well, the same gospels that work in us, we share the same partnership in the gospel with one another and indeed with Paul and Philemon across the ages. The same partnership in the gospel. As we grow deeper and deeper in our understanding of the immense blessing that it is to be partners in the gospel, I think we get better at overlooking the imperfections in one another, the things that bother us about one another. I think we kind of get over ourselves with those kind of things and love one another because Christ loved us. As we daily remember the forgiveness of Jesus to us is unconditional. We did nothing to deserve it. We deserve wrath. As we remember that Jesus' love to us and forgiveness is unconditional, we're equipped to unconditionally love others even if they've hurt us. We're equipped as a, a team to help reconciliation occur when hurts have happened. And our partnership in the gospel is put into full effect when relationships go wrong and when hurt happens. That's when we've actually got the opportunity as a church to most to, to really put it into, into action, our partnership in the gospel. We don't want to see hurts happen in our church, one to the other, but spend enough time in the church with people and sometimes it happens. People rub you up the wrong way, people get each other on a bad day and the hurt occurs. But we ought not be frightened of that it's an opportunity to put our partnership in the gospel into full effect, to see forgiveness one to the other, to see reconciliation, to see a welcome back in to relationship in the same way that we would welcome someone we, we love dearly. As Paul encourages the church to welcome Onesimus as they would welcome him. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Love as Christ has loved you. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for your love poured out to us in so very many ways, most clearly through Jesus' loving sacrifice on our behalf, which we will soon celebrate through the Lord's Supper. We thank you for him. We thank you for your love and mercy, his, his absolute eagerness, willingness to die, to save us from our sin, to pay the price 
for our sins so that we can be reconciled to you. Loving Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who's at work in each of us and at work in our church. And Lord, we pray that you will deepen us in our understanding of the rich blessings that we have from you each day in our church. And we pray and ask Holy Spirit to work among us if ever there are conflicts in our church, that we will work together to see forgiveness, to see repentance, to see reconciliation in our church. We to see the partnership that we enjoy in the gospel put into full effect in those times. We pray and ask humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.